Father, we thank you for the opportunity to stand this morning in this pulpit and preach your word. We ask you, O oh God, for something of which we're not worthy. We ask for a touch from the Holy One, an unction from the Holy One, that we might speak with grace and with truth at this time. There are people here today, O oh Lord, that need this food from your word. There are others who need this instruction from your word. There are others, O oh Lord, that just need the presence that accompanies your word. Now I ask you to fulfill all of those as we preach this morning. And may the words of my mouth be acceptable to thee, O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Genesis chapter 6 is a passage that is quite an item of discussion among theologians. The scholars really get involved in this one because it has a lot of questions and leaves a lot of questions. Hopefully when we're through this morning, we'll understand it just a little bit better. Genesis chapter 6 verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. And they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. And there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But, but, I hate that I made them, but, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You see, every one of you in this room this morning have the grace and the opportunity to change your present state into what God wants you to be or what you know you ought to be. But for whatever reason, you've never made that move toward being totally committed to God. In this age of cultural wickedness and cultural depravity, we look around and say, where is the church? Where is the voice of one crying in the wilderness? Where is the church in all of this wickedness and all of this uh, destruction and perversion and corruption that's going on? And, and it seems like that those that need to hear what the people of this country have to say aren't listening. Yes, I said it. We've come to a time when it seems like those that are in office and in power and authority and in uh, legislation and judicial aren't listening to the people. And the Bible said we have a government that is for the people and of the people. Amen. But it seems to like that the voice of the church is lost in all of this cultural jargon that's going on around us. Where is the church that is crying out against the wickedness? Where is the church that is crying out against the injustice? Where is the church in the midst of all of this, this perversion and, and uh, this loss of identity of who we are? You see, as in our text, when you mess with what God created and you create a mutation of what God created, and you don't know if it's male or female, and you don't know who you are, and you lose your identity, and you're really somebody else, but you feel like you're this. And, and where in the world is the voice of the church saying, God made man in his image 
and in the image and the likeness of God created he him. Amen. And the Bible said, and male and female made he them. Amen. There wasn't any kind of uh, distinction problem. It, it wasn't hard to tell. I think all of us know pretty well male from female. But now this culture is trying to produce a mutation of what God made. Might as well say amen to it. It's the truth. And it's time for the pulpits of this nation the pulpits of this country, and they need your backing, and they need your support, and they need you to stand out in the crowd as one who embraces what the Bible says about sexual identity. Amen. It's time to stop dodging the bullet and being fearful that you're going to offend somebody. The Bible is God's Word, and the God's Word needs to be preached in its authority and its authenticity. Amen. No, no exceptions to that. We, we come to a time where, where we, we take preaching and make it so silly at times and we, we make preaching so juvenile and so pedestrian. I want to tell you, preaching ought to be the utterance of God's Word. Amen. It ought to be that God has touched uh, the preacher and the preacher preaches the Word of God. Not some fable or some story or some magazine article, but the unadulterated, eternal, inerrant, infallible word of the living God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass. You in this grace dispensation have the greatest opportunity. You can be graced. You can be a privileged one in this time, and you can stand out. Amen. As one who knows the grace of God, experienced the grace of God, you know who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. You haven't lost your identity in all of this generalization and all this contextualization that's going on. God help the church, amen, to preach this word as it is and as God gave it to us. Amen, amen, amen. Genesis means the book of beginnings. It's here that we see the theology of the Creator God. It's in the soil of this book that our mind is challenged to believe the sovereignty and the intentional will of the nature and the purpose of God. It's here that we get a glimpse into the mind of God right there in the very first book of the Bible. Amen. God's intention, God's plan, God's purpose, God's program. Amen. And the Bible tells us that what is hidden in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. The law is given to us as a schoolmaster that brings us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So you can take the Old Testament and look for it and you can find Jesus. I love to preach Jesus from the Old Testament. I like to find Jesus in the Old Testament. And I like to reveal him in the New Testament. I like to take the Word of God and reveal what God wants you to know about Him. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Amen. For I and the Father are one. Amen. He tells us over and over that the things that He does, He said, I do this because my, it's the will of my Father. I must do the will of my Father. When His parents come looking for Him, He said, I must do the works of Him that sent me. Amen. I must stay in connection with him and he is the divine model for all of our lives to stay in connection with God's will and God's purpose for our life and that can be reached and that can be received by people who accept by grace what God has done through Calvary's cross the law as a schoolmaster bringing us to Jesus it's at the law that we discover that sin is the transgression and there's mercy and there's grace that is extended to every one of us when we sin. The Bible said, don't sin. Don't, don't do it. And somebody said, well, Brother Jerry, would the Bible tell you to do something you can't do? No. God is not telling you to do something you can't do when he tells you don't make habit of sin. Don't just go on sinning as if you don't have the power to change that. Because God gave you the grace to change that. Come on, somebody. I said, God gave you the grace to change that. Whatever sin wants to impart upon you and to bring into your life, to bring you into some kind of bondage, 
or some kind of addiction or some kind of, kind of prison that he would like to put you in. By grace, you can be set free from that. I said by grace, you can be set free from that. Any habit, any addiction, it can be broken by the grace of God. It can be broken by the power of a graced life. Amen. If you want to change, somebody told me I just can't help it. Yes, you can. Don't ever say that again. Don't ever say I am unable to depend upon the grace of God. I am unable to work the works of God in my life. I'm Don't ever say that. Don't confess that. Amen. But on the contrary, be positive and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. There is no problem, no burden, no difficulty, no affliction, but what you can overcome it by the grace of God. It can be changed by the grace of God. Oh, boy, that's good stuff. I like that. I wish I had time to preach that some more. The text before us is, requires contextual examination. And Scripture must endure the test of exegesis and, and hermeneutical inquiry if we based upon the Word of God. And that this passage, we've got to put it in its context. A text out of context loses relevance and truth. You've got to keep it in its context. There are certain rules of, uh, uh, of exegeting a passage that you must take it in context. In other words, what's going on at the time this is written? Who is it written to? What is the purpose of the writing? What is the goal of the person who wrote it? What does he hope to accomplish by writing this? And you've got to take, ask all of those questions and go into a deeper depth than just looking up a definition. In fact, when God looked at this situation and he said, it repenteth me that I ever made man, the strongest Hebrew word that can be used would be for us to say, I hate that I ever did that. I hate that I ever did that. Oh, my blessed Lord. I don't want the Lord to regret me. I said, I don't want the Lord to regret me. I don't want God to regret the church of God. I don't want God to regret us or anything that, that we do, any ministry that we do. I don't want God to regret. I don't want our conduct and attitude to become so vile and wretched that God would say, I wish I hadn't done that. I hate that I ever called them to do that. Come on, somebody. By grace, you can do it. By grace, you can be what God wants you to be. In the text, it sounds as if God is frustrated, doesn't it? Sounds as if God is disgusted. It sounds as if God is angry. Amen. What's happened, Pastor? Well, what's happened is man got turned over to his own ways, and any time that you turn man over to himself, he'll find a way to destroy. He'll find a way to be perverted and find a way to be corrupt because it's just not in our flesh to produce Christian character. It takes God in our life and the Holy Spirit in our life and the Word of God in our life to produce Christian character. In this flesh, this flesh, all the works of my flesh are futile and as filthy rags. I must depend upon the grace of God. I must depend upon what Jesus did at Calvary's cross to be sufficient, amen, to cover the sin that is in my life. That's, that's the provision, and that's that's what this text is about. God looked at this situation and he said, I regret that I ever made man. I regret that I ever made creeping things. I regret that I ever made insects. I, I regret that I ever made birds to fly. I regret that I ever created life upon the earth. Why? Because every thought of man's mind, his imagination the Bible said, had become evil. Did you hear the text? Did you read it with me? That every thought had been made to be evil. Every imagination, that it, everything he thought about was something that God was against and that God prohibited. Every thought 
broke the commandment of God and broke the will of God. Well, let's look at that situation in the text it sounds as if God is prospering. He's sorry that he made man and he, he said, it repenteth me. I hate I made him. He's disgusted. He's frustrated. He's angry. The extent of such disgust almost resulted in total genocide. Do you realize how catastrophic a flood was? Can, can you believe, even imagine, the awful, catastrophic, disastrous thing that happened in the earth. All but eight people were killed. Well, the Bible simply says the soul that sinneth shall surely die. Now, we're not in, in the dispensation of Jesus and the cross. We're not in the dispensation. We're in the dispensation of, of it justice and, and wrath get mixed together punishment and that kind of thing there's no grace there's no mercy for this generation that we're talking about right now because as it, as of yet this is a, another age another another grouping there was a man named darby john nelson darby he was born in 1800 died in 1882 he was a irish anglican belief and he came up with a, a system of going through the Bible and going through the uh, Word of God and separating it into dispensations. And he is called the father of dispensationalism. In other words, he took this, a plan. In fact, he called it God's plan for man. And he divided the ages. That, one is the age of innocence. And that is from the time of Adam until the fall boy up until then folks just run around naked and ran around with no sin ran around with no transgression no no nothing they just ran around with innocence it was called the age of innocence darby called it the age of innocence now let me say right up front that i'm not ready to say i embrace all of the tenets and facets of dispensationalism but it is simply a way of categorizing different eras in the Bible and the, and the plan of God so we have uh, this plan that God has made man innocent and when man responded to God's question where are you he said I'm hid he said why are you hid he said because I'm naked he said who told you you're naked and then the snake and all of that gets into the picture. And up until that time, it's called the age of innocence. Then we go into an age of consciousness. And it goes from Adam to Abram. And then we get from Abram to Moses, which gives us the law, the age of the law. So then we go from law to Jesus, the time of the birth of Jesus, and that's called the dispensation of grace. The dispensation of grace that God so loved the world how did God go from destroying all but eight souls to in Christ all shall be made alive how did that happen it was simply grace is exactly what it was that brought about a grace dispensation why because God so loved the world God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So by the coming of the Lord Jesus, God is opening up a door. Jesus said he is the door. I am the door. If any man shall enter in by me, he shall be are there any saved by grace people in this house? Well, how in the world did you get here? I came through the door. I said I came through the door. Why did you come through the door? Because there's no other door. There's no other door. There's no other name. There's no other Savior. 
There's no other emancipator. There's no other mediator. There's no other one that could mediate for us a righteousness, hallelujah, that would satisfy the demands of a holy God. Amen. I came through the door. Who is the door? I said, Jesus is the door, isn't he? I came through the door. And all who are saved have to come through the door because there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He is the only way. And the Bible said, neither is there salvation in any other. Those who are saved by grace must be willing to stand out. We're in a crowd today, a culture today, that the pressure is for us to just blend in. Just blend in. Just, just blend in. Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't make statements. Come on, somebody. Don't be so, is it fundamentalist? Is that the, that the word? You people ought to have a better spirit of ecumenism about you. What do you mean ecumenism? Ecumenism means a union of churches. The ecumenical council is a union of churches that now has fallen apart. Ecumenism, that means let's just all be alike. Let's just all blend in. Don't be different. Don't dare to be different. Don't you dare be different. You, you comply. You come under. My Lord. And God is looking for somebody like a Noah that will say, I don't fit in that category. All of that wickedness that God said he regretted that he made man, I'm not like that. I don't believe like that. I, I don't walk like that. My attitude is not like that. I don't fit that mold. And I refuse to fit in a mold that God regrets making. Come on, somebody. I refuse to look like, act like, talk like somebody that God said, I'm sorry I ever made them. Glory to God. God's looking for somebody that will say, I, I, I may be different, but I'm, I'm going to stand by who I am, and I'm going to stand by what I believe. I'm going to stand by the Bible to be God's holy word. I'm going to stand by the cross. I'm going to stand by the blood of Jesus. I'm going to stand by the Holy Spirit of God that convicted my heart of sin and drew me to an altar of prayer where I humbled myself and I asked the Lord Jesus to take my heart and take my life and be the Lord of my life. And I'm going to embrace that. I'm going to stand by that. It's who I am and it's what I'll always be. I'll die believing in redemption through the blood of the Lord Jesus. And you can mock me, you can call me names, you can scandalize my name, you can slander me, you can reject me, you can fire me, you can do whatever you want to do. But you're not going to change me. I refuse to be changed. I refuse to let this culture change me. I refuse for a proud, arrogant spirit that is prevailing in our nation now to derail me and cause me to miss out. Oh, brothers and sisters, I've come too far to look back. I've come too far, too many miles behind me, too many mountains, too many valleys, too many battles. No siree, I've started for heaven and I'm going through. Amen. Whatever others do, I'm going through. What a slogan. Whatever others do, I'm going through. And God's looking for somebody that'll be that way. God's people have always stood out, even when it meant standing alone. God's always had a prophet. He'd have to hide them in a cave sometimes. And he'd have to feed them over the creek sometimes. He'd have to get a 
with a woman to feed him sometimes, but he'll always have one. I said he'll always have one. He may stand out like a sore thumb. He may, he, may, he may stand out to where everybody ridicules him and calls him old fogey and calls him fundamentalist and calls him all of those things. Hey, I want to tell you something. I, I, don't, I don't get offended about that because I haven't moved from what I first believed many, many years ago. Amen. What I believed then, I believe now. What I preached then, I'm preaching now. And I refuse to fit in a mold that somebody makes for me and says, you got to do it like this. You got to do it like this. Most of you know that I'm back finishing up a doctoral degree and working hard on that. Biggest thing, I mean, there aren't many Pentecostals. Aren't many Pentecostal theologians. You won't find many books by Pentecostals. You, they're rare. You have to look for them. You gotta know, number one, you got to know who is Pentecostal. One of the professors wrote back and said on my paper, he said, you quote a lot of Pentecostals. <laughs> you know why? Because I am one. I am one. It's hard for me, Barbara, to talk in all those liturgical terms and talk in all of that liturgy and all of that pomp and all of that ceremony and, and stuff in which that's written. And I, I won't fit in that. Best news I got was from one of my Pentecostal friends who had gone through the process, and he said, Jerry, says, just regurgitate back to them what they want to hear. said, I decided that a long time ago, not to cast my pearls before the swine, that I'd just go ahead and just tell them uh, what they want to hear. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> they may give me a C, but C's get degrees. One put on my paper said, I said, God, we believe in one God eternally existing in three persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And one of them wrote on my paper said, God is not a person. What? My Lord, God is not a person? No, he said in the chat over there where we were chatting, God is not a person. He said, Jesus is a person, but God is not a person. God is invisible. God is immaterial. And said, as such, he, he's not a person. I said, well, you, then you've got to write the whole doxology all over again. Isn't that what we say? God in three persons, blessed trinity. And God is not a person? Well, the Bible said he was a person. The Bible said he's not a man that he should lie. Glory to God. He's not an average person like we think of persons, but he is a person. He has, this, this, I put this back up, I chatted back. Well, then you say he has personality because you told me to write a paper about his personality. If God has personality, how can he have personality but he's not a person? Come on, somebody. My God is a person. I'll preach it, I'll write it, and I'll sing it because he's a person. He loves He cares. He moves. He speaks. He hears. He sees. Glory to God. He is a, a, a divine person. Praise God. And I just refuse to fit into molds that disagree with who I am in Christ and what God has ordained for my life and ordained for our future. 
I refuse to fit into a mold that somebody wrote somewhere how we ought to. I just take God's word and just say, God's word, tell us what we ought to be. He says, ye are a holy nation. You are a holy priesthood, royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people, called out of darkness into the light, into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but now have become the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Grace and mercy brought us together at the point of our need for the Lord Jesus. Jesus is my mercy. Jesus is my grace. Jesus is my freedom. Jesus is the answer to my prayers. Jesus is my need. Jesus is my supply. Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus is my holiness. Jesus is my access into his grace. Jesus is the mediator. Jesus is the one who validates me. Jesus is the one who fills me with his spirit. Jesus is the one who sanctifies me. Jesus is the one who... Jesus is the worthiest of my service. My challenge today is to show you in Scripture that grace is available to help you overcome the fear of not fitting in and stand out like a light of the darkness of sin and depravity. If Noah would have been the kind of person who had to keep up with everybody else and keep up with culture and look like everybody and fit in, he would have drowned. But because he said, I'd rather stand out than fit in, he found grace. Found grace. That's what I want you to find. This culture is like a vortex that will suck you into its grasp. It is a downward trend of low moral values and no sense of accountability. We live in an exonerating society. We want to free everybody. We free people from conviction and excuse their drunkenness and accept their wickedness. They mock our God and slander his people and laugh at his word. But I want to tell you, truth will prevail and God is not mocked. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. This Bible says this, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations, all nations that forget God. I want to tell you, the Lord destroyed this world one time and he put a rainbow in the clouds. You know why he put it there? Because he had a promise. You see, after Abraham there was a Moses. With that next dispensation, that's the, 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 the law. And then when we go from Moses, we go to Jesus. Because law has to do something about the grace of God. Grace and the law are in conflict. And they meet in the person of the Lord Jesus. Jesus was accused of destroying the law. And Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. I am God's answer to your inquiry about the law. And because of the law, it, 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 that's the governmental stage, isn't it? In those dispensations, the government, when the governance comes in and the law of Moses prevails in that dispensation, and then the next dispensation is when we get Jesus in the picture. And when we get Jesus in the picture, in the plan for the ages, then we've got mercy and grace and forgiveness, help, blessing, healing. All of those things come about when we get Jesus into the equation. You know, people shout about Silly things sometimes. Some people shout because they got two loaves of bread 
for the price of one. Some folks shout because they got a good car deal. Some folks shout because they got to buy one, get one free at Walmart. Some folks shout because they won a, won a prize. Let me tell you something you ought to shout about. Because people can take those things away. I said, those things can be taken away. Oh, but there's something you've got that can't be taken away. There's something that you've got whoo, that the world didn't give it to you. There's something that you've got that isn't on Wall Street. There's something you've got that isn't analyzed by the Trades Commission. There's something you've got that no appraiser can put a price upon it. There's something that you've got, and that is Jesus. And if you've got Jesus, then everything else fades in obscurity to the fact that you've got Jesus. Praise our wonderful God. Somebody said, Brother Jerry, do you think you'll go to hell for doing this and stealing and lying? There's only one reason why anybody goes to hell. Why is that, Pastor? They haven't got who you've got. The Bible said, He that hath the Son hath everlasting life. He that hath not the Son shall not see life. Only one reason why anybody goes to heaven, only one reason why anybody goes to hell. If you got Jesus, you go to heaven. If you don't have Jesus, you go to hell. Oh, now you're thinking more of what you got, aren't you? Now that you've got Jesus who said, I will never leave, now that you've got Jesus that said, I, I'll stand by you and go with you all the way. Now that you've got Jesus and he's in your heart and he's given you this promise. This is that promise dispensation in, that Jesus was the promise, the promise dispensation. Hey, is there anybody here today that all you've got is a promise? I think there's some folks here today that all you got is a promise. Oh, you haven't seen anything that goes along with what you're praying to God about, but you just got a promise. And you're living on the strength of that promise. You're worshiping on the strength of that promise. You're singing on the strength of that promise. You're coming to church and loving God and, 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 and paying your tithe and, and giving to the church and, and, and testifying of the goodness of God. Why? Because you've got Jesus in your heart, and you got a promise. You got a promise. Got a promise. Jesus said, "I will never allow you to be tempted above that which you are able to bear." But I promise you, in every temptation, I will make a way for you. Aren't you glad you got Jesus? A Jesus who said, "I will." always make a way brother I'd say right now we're kind of living on a promise aren't we living on a promise operating on a promise going about ministry on a promise worshiping preaching having church singing songs on a promise got a promise I'll never leave promise I'll make a way Promise that whatsoever you ask, whatsoever you ask in faith believing, I will do. I promise. Whatsoever things you ask in my name, I will do it. I promise. Now let me ask you again. Are there anybody in this house that's living on a promise? Oh, Lord, you're looking at a man that's living on a promise right now because the greatest of all promises is this. And the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. 
He's not slack concerning his promise, but he's long-suffering. Long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that everybody, all, should come to repentance. Come to repentance. Repentance? What does repentance mean, Pastor? It means there's got to be a transformation. It means you've got to change. That's some of that old fundamentalist stuff coming out in me. I'm sorry. Change has got to happen. The old timers used to say, you get a man's heart right, he'll start living right. Brother, when you've got Jesus, repentance, brother, is the thing that keeps you in right relationship with him. I write these things unto you, brethren, that you sin not. Thank you, little apostle John. Don't sin. But if any man does sin, if you do, you have an advocate. Aren't you glad you got Jesus? I said, aren't you glad you got Jesus? If you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if we confess our sin, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us. Brother, this culture needs cleansing. I said this culture needs Jesus. This culture needs cleansing. This, this culture needs the blood of Jesus. This culture needs an altar experience. This, this culture needs to find God through the Lord Jesus. And it will only come when a nation repents. Because God's word said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, Lord, that's going to be a tall order in this time of arrogance and self-centeredness and self-serving that's going on right now. That's a tall order. But God said to this, for this nation, for his people, if my people, quit looking into somebody else to do it, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. God said, don't wait around for me to humble you. Don't wait around on a flood. Don't wait around on, a, on an event to happen where you, where you come back to God. But he said, you do it. Humble yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up, the Bible said. If my people will humble themselves and pray and repent. Wow. Repent. What would it take to get America to repent? What would it take? Those great preachers of yesteryear that stood in pulpits all across America, James Gregory, Jerry Falwell, Adrian Rogers, and week after week called this nation to repentance. Those brothers have gone on to be with the Lord. They're no longer with us. And the question is, where are our champions? Where are our standouts? Where are our guys that will step out of the crowd and say, I'm here to be counted? I'm here to be counted. I'm here to say that the Bible is true. It means what it says. It says what it means. And I accept it and I preach it as the way of salvation through the Lord Jesus. We've got to have some standouts. There's got to be some people somewhere that stand up for what we really believe. And more than them standing out, we've got to stand out. Amen. There used to be, you know, do you know, I'll, I'll say this in closing. Come on, Olivia, so they'll think I'm quitting. Do you know what made Pentecostalism such a great 
thing when it spread like wildfire all over. Did you know right now half of the Christians on the planet are spirit-filled? I didn't say they were all at the foot of the cross doing what the Lord wants them to do. But half of all Christians, it's estimated by those that count such things, claim a spirit-filled experience. Wow. Hmm. So I don't guess we stand out as much as we used to. There was a time when people came out of curiosity. There was a time when people came out to see to see those Pentecostals have church. It used to really, people wanted, came out. The first general overseer of the Church of God was a guy named F.J. Lee. He taught the auditorium class at First Church in Cleveland, Tennessee. He came out to the tent where they were having a Pentecostal revival. Stood out in the shadows of the trees so nobody could see him. Then he made it up to the back pew and he finally made it up to the altar and he finally received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and F.J. Lee became the first general overseer of the Church of God. A.J. Tomlinson and then F.J. Lee. Wow. There was a time people came out in crowds right over here in Gadsden, Alabama. Right over there close to the mill there was a man named J.W. Buckaloo. J.W. Buckaloo came through this part of the country preaching Holy Ghost revivals. Gadsden Times, you can go read the archives, crowds of 3,000 gathered every night under an old tent to listen to J.W. Buckaloo preach about a baptism in the Holy Ghost. Alabama City Church of God was set in order from that meeting with J.W. Buckaloo. Some drunk policemen came one night and arrested him. Carried him to Etowah County Jail across Forest Avenue right there, just across the street from the tent. Challenged him, Sue, and said, you better not preach anymore about this Holy Ghost religion and this Holy Ghost in filling. Don't preach that anymore. Get out of our town. J.W. Buckaloo told them, he said, turn that key and open that door and as sure as you let me out of here, I'll go stand in those ashes of that tent that you burned last night and I'll preach the message of Holy Spirit baptism. That night he, he preached to thousands that gathered to hear a message about Holy Spirit baptism. I could go on and on telling you about heroes, about the hero that set this church in order, J.B. Ellis. A pioneer came in, set up a tent over here in Zen Park, preached. In fact, he was arrested one night and carried to jail. They th threatened to burn his tent. He said the Church of God in order with 17 members. I wonder if J.B. Ellis could walk in here today and say, Praise God, y'all are still Pentecostal. If we ever got tried for being Pentecostal, you reckon anybody would convict us? Are you willing to stand out? Noah chose to stand out rather than fit in. I want to tell you, God's looking for someone today. And preachers are getting stirred. Preacher friends of mine are calling me and telling me, Brother Jerry, we've got to have a revival. We've, we've got to do something. We've got to stop this current trend. Is there anybody who believes that? Stop this current trend. And let's take the horns of the altar. And let's pray until something happens. Yeah, that's right. Push, P-U-S-H. Pray until something happens. Pray until God rains down righteousness. Pray until God pours out the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. When I was a teenage evangelist, I'd preach revivals and go preach in schools. 
preaching schoolyards for the classes would start. Go there and gather kids would gather in. People would go to kids would go to their locker, getting their keys out, speaking in tongues. Holy Ghost revival. You see, things happen when you're willing to stand out. Oh, don't make a fuss now. Don't 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 be don't be like that. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Just because we're different, just because we worship a little bit different. But I am determined. Anybody determined? I am determined. Amen. Stand with me. Waxed a little long this morning, didn't you, Brother Jerry? Had a lot I wanted to say. But I, I want to tell you, the only way I see that church growth, growth and expansion, the only way that's going to happen is be, be true to who you are. I said be true to who you are. Don't be like anybody else. Don't act like anybody else. Act like the people of God. Act like who you really are. And I promise you, I'll not let you down on my end of that bargain. Thank you, God, for allowing us to be in your house today. And thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the anointing of the Holy Ghost that I feel in this house. And I thank you, God, that there are people here that are determined to be different in a world of compromise, that are willing to go against culture and to believe the truth, this absolute truth of God's Word. God, don't let us cave in or, or give out or become weary in well-doing and give up. Help us, God, to keep our eyes upon the prize and help us, God, to press toward the mark and the high calling of Christ Jesus. Now, it dismisses from this place, but not your sight. As we go out in this world to be light and salt, help us, God, to be a light that would lead some soul to the saving grace of Jesus. In your name we pray. Everybody said amen. Shake hands and be friendly.